Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly Phillips-Zerb, for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Did you know that over 9 million Americans currently live outside of the U.S.? Sometimes living outside of the United States can be tax advantageous. Thanks to a tax break called the Foreign Earned Income Exclusion, taxpayers may be able to exclude income from United States taxes. It's not a completely free pass. Americans working abroad still need to file a federal income tax return to claim the exclusion. But depending on the jurisdiction, it can make working remotely abroad a tax-free experience. To talk about this today, I've asked Allison Lindsay. Allison is a managing CPA and partner at Bright Tax. Allison joined Bright Tax from Deloitte, where she worked as a tax senior advising international clients across a range of compliance issues. She has her bachelor's and master's of accountancy from the University of Denver. Allison, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Kelly. I'm happy to be here. So let's talk about what the foreign earned income tax exclusion is and who can benefit from it. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So the, like you said, the foreign earned income exclusion allows you to exclude up to about $100,000 annually right off the top of taxable income. And it relates to earned income, which is right in the the name of it. So that would be employment wages and self-employment income. We get the question a lot of, well, what about my rental income or capital gains, which unfortunately would not apply. But for a lot of our clients who are living abroad, um, earning income as employees or self-employed individuals, they get a pretty big tax break on the U.S. side for their federal income tax. For 2020, that that number specifically is $107,600. And there are a couple of tests that you can use to qualify for it. One is called the physical presence test, which requires you to have at least 330 days outside the U.S. during any 12-month consecutive period. So for folks who move abroad mid-year, let's say June June 30th, um, if we look at June 30th of 2020 through June 29th of 2021, as long as they have 330 days outside the U.S., then they can qualify for, in this case, a prorated amount of the exclusion. So let's say 50% of it in that case. Right. And I think that's um, an important distinction because I think, especially during COVID, because I think we're used to thinking about things in calendar years, but this doesn't have to be a calendar year to qualify for the exclusion, but the tax break is still based on the calendar year. Right. So I always say we look at two steps. Do you have 330 days outside the U.S. during a 12-month period? And then step two, how many months of that 12-month period can we fit into the calendar year? So if it's January to December, that's great. Then we get the full amount. If it's June to June, that's good too, 50%. We even have clients who get one month or two months, they move abroad in November, and they just have to wait to make sure they have those 330 days. But then during that tax year, they still get a a little bit of the exclusion. Two months out of 12 is better than nothing. So what happens in that case that you just mentioned? So let's say I move abroad in November of 2020 Mm -hmm. 
And let's assume this had been a normal tax year and and the uh, returns had been due in April, but I haven't yet met that 330 threshold. What happens? So in that case, we rely on a lot of extensions. Okay. Abroad taxpayers automatically get a two-month extension until June 15th. So that gives them a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. And so we can still draft the return before then. It just can't be submitted until the physical presence test is fully met. And so we get till June 15th automatically. Then in this case, we would need a further extension until October 15th. And that still doesn't get us quite far enough. Then we can submit actually a further extension until December 15th if the taxpayers are still abroad on, on the October 15th deadline. And we even have another extension all the way till January 15th. So what that means for us is that we get to stay busy all year, which we like because mm -hmm. uh, those extensions are available. And for clients, a lot of the time, it's just waiting for time to pass. So if they have a balance due on April 15th, they should still make that payment because it, it would be growing interest and penalties just like anybody else who requests an extension. But then they just hold on to the return we wait for enough those 12 months to pass, and then we can submit it, making sure that they've satisfied those 330 days. And what qualifies as a day? Does it have to be a full day? Correct. It does have to be a full day. So when clients are asking me about tax planning, they say, I always try to tell them, try to keep it to 30 days in the U.S. rather than right at 35, just in case you run into an emergency or your plane gets delayed or I had this one client who came to me after the fact, so he wanted to file the for the exclusion, and he had I think three hundred and thirty. What did he have? It was he was over one day or two days or something like that, and he said, "Man, I wanted to leave, but my mom guilted me into staying for a couple of <laughs> extra days, and now I can't claim any of the exclusion. So you don't get to prorate it if you have." 329 days outside the U.S. It's not like you get 99% of it. You just don't mm -hmm. get it at all. So that was one of those frustrating stories where, I don't know, maybe he made his mom pay his tax bill that year or something. Oh, it's worth it if he gets to see his mom. Yeah, I think so too. So outside of the uh, physical presence test, what else do taxpayers look at? So the other piece is the one test is the physical presence test. Another one is the bona fide resident test which requires you to be essentially a permanent resident from January 1st through December 31st of the tax year. So we look at a little bit more subjective measures, type of home that they live in, if it's rented, owned, um, provided by an employer, who they live abroad with, so family members. And then there's also a couple of boxes checking if they have to pay taxes to the country where they live. Or if they submitted a statement of non-residency, that would obviously disqualify them because that makes it very clear they're not actually bona fide residents of that right. foreign country. So we get to use one of those two tests. A number of our clients qualify for both, but the physical presence test with those 330 days is really important for what we call digital nomads who maybe don't aren't able to meet that bona fide resident test because mm -hmm. they're not in one place from January 1st through December 31st. Maybe they just spend a couple of months in each place or they move every eight months so they don't have January to December. In those cases, they can still qualify with the physical presence test and their 330 days. But the one kicker, I guess I'll say, is the tax home piece of it. 
So they do have to be able to show that they have a tax home outside of the U.S. in order to qualify. But they don't have to be in that tax home for the whole 330 days, or do they? They can still bounce around and travel. And that's what a lot of our clients who are digital nomads do. They get to take advantage of this, I don't know, almost borderless world when it comes to working and stay in Airbnbs here and there and then come back to their tax home and and really enjoy their life and their adventures outside the U.S. Maybe 2020, they were kind of cooped up. So I'm noticing a lot more people wanting to stretch their legs and, and get out this year. Oh, I can imagine. Sure. So when when folks, obviously, we're talking about some pretty technical areas of the tax code, right? Like you're you're saying, using words like bona fide and <laughs> doing math. So how do, how do people, like, what are some things that people should look at when they're going abroad to know that maybe they should, you know, signal in advance to their tax professionals so they can understand how to do the count, what kinds of documentation they need? So if I said to you tomorrow, you know, I'm jumping a plane to Paris, you know, is this something that you should think about before you get on that plane? Or do you call your tax professional once you land? Like, what is the the timing in terms of trying to sort out what you need to be watching for? Because you gave us an example of what happens when things go badly. But when you're on the planning side, like at what point do you say, I need to figure out what my options are? Right. Well. I'm a tax accountant, so obviously I always err on the side of planning, and I right. think that's the best way to go about it, to ask your accountant before making a big change to see what the tax consequences will be. That said, a lot of people don't do that. They they jump first and go. They're adventurous. They're not necessarily all risk-averse tax accountants like I am. So if you do have the benefit of planning, then I think the biggest thing is, is tracking those days. And we have some people who travel a lot, especially people who are close by. So somebody who lives in Canada and can very easily get back and forth to the U.S. again in a normal year. I have had some clients say it's a ton of legwork to go back and try to capture what their U.S. days were. So it's nice to do that throughout the year, keep track of plane tickets, receipts, It's probably easier than it used to be since everything's electronic. Right. But that would be one of the things the IRS would ask for should they ever be audited. Mm -hmm. You don't need to send in copies of your plane tickets or your receipts to prove when you were in the U.S. and when you were abroad. But of course, I tell clients, keep track of those just in case. And then then you know they'll they'll never ask as long as you're prepared just in case. Of course. Knock on wood. Right. So um, what about things? So you mentioned plane tickets and receipts. So would hotels, rental receipts, that all of that kind of stuff would, would qualify for documentation purposes? Right, right. So that would prove where you are when you say you were there. So okay. you, you can track that. And I know that one of the pieces of the exclusion is also can apply to housing. Can you explain that for us? Yeah, that's a good question. So we can increase the foreign earned income exclusion if there's some foreign housing expenses paid. And speaking of doing math, it's a little bit of fancy footwork for the calculation. It's essentially about 16% of the exclusion that's available. So this year it comes out to about 17,000 is this number that we're looking at. So if you pay above 17,000 in your foreign housing expenses, which would include rent and utilities. It excludes phone and internet. 
then you can claim that on top of the foreign earned income exclusion. So let's say that you pay $20,000 in your, your foreign housing expenses, then we take out that $17,000 threshold. So then you can add an additional $3,000 to the exclusion this year. So you could look at excluding $110,000 altogether. So that's $107,000 plus $3,000. Is there any kind of, and I don't know the answer to this and hopefully you do, but it's something that's popped in my head. Is there like a reasonable standard here? Because what if I decide that I want to go to Paris and live in a chateau? And it's like really expensive, right? So can I claim all of that over the threshold or how does that work? There is an upper limit to that. And it actually varies based on, I know, (laughs) we can't all go live in chateaus in Paris. Right. Maybe we'll go to Versailles and split it or something. <laughs> but the, there is an upper limit that, that varies, actually. So the standard is about 30000 So that means you could go up to 30000 subtract out that seventeen, and then you get 13000 to add to your exclusion, which is still pretty good. But for high cost of living places like Paris, like Hong Kong, like Dubai, that upper limit is way higher. And it, it varies by year and the IRS um, gives us, publishes those numbers and the instructions so that if you have to pay those higher numbers for your rent, because that's the only way to live there, then you do get to take advantage of some of that at the very least. Oh, that's cool. So you, since you mentioned Dubai, I know, you know, Dubai, there are, it's obviously tax favored. Do you have to prove that you paid taxes in another place to qualify for the exclusion? You do not have to prove that you pay taxes in another place. Okay. Dubai is one of those places that you save a ton in in U.S. taxes and in foreign taxes all above board because you're not paying income tax to Dubai, but you are a resident there. So as long as you can show that your tax home is there, you you live there, you set down your ties, you still have your 330 days outside the U.S., then you can exclude that roughly $100,000 right off the top of your your wages or self-employment income. And you uh, referenced earlier about you know audits and exam. Do you find that taxpayers are increased risk for an audit? Or do you think that the numbers are just the same as you know, it would be under normal circumstances? Because I know this is something you know, we hear all the time in other contexts. People are scared to claim anything kind of outside of the ordinary. So home office deduction people get nervous about, you know, people get nervous about a lot of things because they don't want their return to be the outlier, like the one that catches someone's eye. Do you see an increase in audits or do you think that it's, in your experience, it looks the same as any other taxpayer? In my practice, it looks the same. And that's what I've read from the IRS too. So we see very, very few audits. Um, I think I've seen one in the last several years. And that was when somebody was amending a return to claim a really big refund with the foreign earned income exclusion. So that's actually how I know what they look for in the audit with the plane tickets and proof of location. That actually reminds me about a point where the foreign earned income exclusion has to be claimed on a timely filed return. So we have had clients amend and that has worked, but Technically, the IRS doesn't have to allow it if it's a late return or or even an amended return. So, so we don't see a ton of audits in our practice. And I think part of that is that 
we just work with regular folks who live abroad and they're going out on adventures who, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they just want to get through their taxes and save on some tax. So part of it is they get some great tax savings. And then a major part is the adventurous spirit that they have. So it's not like they're millionaires trying to exclude a hundred thousand dollars. I think I saw a statistic where the average, maybe about 40% of Americans abroad earn about $50,000 or less. So they're interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So they're able to exclude it. They're able to go to maybe a low cost of living location and not pay that much. And and then also, of course, take advantage of the tax savings. I know that um, when I spoke with Virginia Latoria Yaker, she's in Dubai and she works with a lot of expats. And one of the interesting things that she said is there is this kind of stigma, I think, that folks who travel abroad are all wealthy and, you know, how, how dare they have an extra tax break, right? It's this idea. Um, so that's really interesting that you said that. Um, it's also not been her experience that these are all folks with money, at least on the expat side, that these are not people who are, you know, millionaires who are all on the Riviera, that a lot of them are working. And as you mentioned, for the, for the exclusion, at least, you have to work. Like that's, it's not, it's not, let's just go tour. You have to have earned income. Mm-hmm, exactly. And even people who retire abroad, um, we have a lot of clients who retire to Portugal. I'm seeing that a lot lately with mm-hmm. some visas that they have there. And they think that they'll be able to use the foreign earned income exclusion on retirement income, which is not available. So I actually had a, a consultation with a client who had, had already moved to Portugal thinking he could claim the exclusion on retirement income. But since it's not earned wages, he didn't qualify. And to be honest, he didn't believe me. So I, I kind of wanted to ask him, <laughs> can you show me your tax return when you get somebody else to file it like that? Right, but, right. Um, I think that's a pitfall. Yeah, that's interesting too, because you know one of the things when I asked you about like, at what point do you call your tax professional? And you said, being, you know, basically a conservative accountant, you want them to call you in advance. It's pretty amazing that people pack up and leave and then think about it. Right. Like long term, like for a retirement. Like I understand more like I'm going to go abroad for a month. Let me see what I can get once I get here. But like to move somewhere long term without thinking about it, it's very carefree, which I admire. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. Like the, the tax professional in me is like, you know, what you need to ask that question first. Right. And we do have a lot of clients, and I was pleasantly surprised this year, a lot of potential clients, I guess I should say, doing initial consultations where they say, I'm realizing I can move abroad. What will that look like? And I'm always impressed when people ask that question in advance. Yeah, no, I I think it's, it's helpful for you because, again, then you don't have to scramble to explain to them the documentation and counting the days and that kind of thing. Do you ever have pushback? on folks who don't want to count. And the reason I ask that question is, you know, a lot of times, and I'm sure you've seen this in other contexts, a lot of times, and I'm going to bring up the home office deduction again, because that's one that people have asked about a lot this year. You know, you get the, you get the, um, the documentation from the taxpayer that says, you know, my, uh, my mortgage was exactly a thousand dollars and my phone bill was exactly $200. And when you ask questions, those are guesses because they, you know, they didn't, they're pretty sure it's around there, right? Since the exclusion is so specific, do you have people that say, well, I think I was there? Or do you, do you have them fill out paperwork in advance? Again, knowing that taxpayers, this is not their job. It's something that we're very 
you know, hyper vigilant about, but it's not their job. So a lot of times they're rounding. And no matter how many times you say don't round, they round. Do they do that with days? And do you find yourself having to emphasize, no, I need you to keep a calendar or I need you to have those tickets in in hand? I do see that sometimes. And that's usually when people are catching up by filing the streamlined procedure, which is the amnesty program filing the last three years of delinquent returns, because it's just hard to remember three years back what your travel was. So that's the most common one where they say, I think I need that. Otherwise, though, it is always part of the initial conversation. Let's look at these days. Will you have enough? And actually for 2020, that's been a little bit of an easier conversation because people have been trapped either in the U.S. or stuck outside of the U.S. Otherwise, they say, I think I'll need it. And that's when I say, how about you go back and and check and then come back to us just to make sure. Because you do have to report the specific days on the tax return itself. So on the Form 2555, you have to say, these are the days I was inside the U.S. And we have clients who will say, it was two weeks at the beginning of August where when we have to go back and say, tell us the exact days. Now, we're not here to audit them. So we trust that what they provide is accurate and of course tell them. But um, that is one of those kind of loosey-goosey areas where we have that. And then sometimes we have, I don't know, the engineers who come in and say, these are the specific days and I already know I qualify (laughs) and they've already done the research. So it's absolutely a mixed bag. When you mentioned the Streamline Amnesty Program, is that for people who miss their filing deadline or, or what is what is that applicable for? Yeah, that's for people who move abroad and have no idea that they're required to continue filing U.S. taxes because mm-hmm. of our citizenship-based taxation. So that's a mix of people who move abroad, say, 10 years ago and didn't know about it, people who move abroad 30 years ago folks who were born in the U.S., now we call accidental Americans, where they lived mm-hmm. outside their entire lives. And the amnesty program allows them to get caught up on all of their missed tax returns by just filing the last three years of delinquent returns and last six years of foreign bank account reports, the FBARs, along with a certification statement that says this was non-willful, I wasn't trying to avoid taxes, I just didn't know about the requirement which I would say is 100% of our clients who use that. When they do that, can they still claim the exclusion or has that already passed? They can claim it when they're using the streamlined procedure because they're under the amnesty program. And we have had clients who have to backfile who don't qualify for the amnesty program. And they've been able to use the exclusion too. It's just not as definite, I, I guess I would say. Okay. So if, if you miss the deadline, all is not lost. Correct. Correct. It's not the end of the world and no one's going to die. It's always That's worth a try to, to get it through. And there are a couple of revenue procedures that are available to say, this is the reason why I missed it, which we occasionally use as well. And you, when you mentioned the FBARs, that's really interesting because I've had a couple of guests on the program that have talked about FBARs and one of the things that I do think um, is interesting is, you know, the, the IRS tolerance for not having filed, you know, is increasingly low um, at this point because of the fact that they've been promoting the need to file for quite a while. But one of the things we do talk about, like accidental Americans, um, we, we've talked about that on the show as well, but folks who may go abroad and stay a little longer than they thought and open a bank account in the country where they're staying. 
now subject to FRs and didn't know. So I could see how this, especially on the digital nomad side, could easily lead to a need to file an FR, but you wouldn't think about it because you're already outside of the U.S. Right. I completely understand how a lot of this doesn't even cross people's minds because they're busy living their lives. And right. I think that's that's where this expat tax niche kind of comes in, where it's a, it, it is a niche area of tax preparation. I have a lot of friends who are CPAs in the States who have never even heard of the foreign earned income exclusion, whereas that's what we do day in and day out. And I right. call it a niche, but they're, like you said at the beginning, there are 9 million Americans abroad. So they qualify for the exclusion or they're paying taxes abroad. So they might qualify for the foreign tax credit. Like you said, they're opening bank accounts because that's what they need to do to live. So we always, of course, recommend filing the FBARs and the full disclosure there, since especially since it doesn't drive any taxes and the penalty threat is so high. And how do people find accountants who know what they're talking about this area? Because it's, you know, you you called it a niche, niche, but, you know, it's, I think when there is a misconception, I do think that tax preparers know how to do everything, right? So when you show up with your 1040, you assume that the person who did your return before can maybe do it again. And that's not always the case. And and that's for a lot of reasons, not just moving abroad. I mean, you start a business, maybe the person who does your 1040 isn't uh, used to preparing S-corp returns. Like there's lots of cases where you might need somebody else. How do people know, first of all, that they might need somebody else? And then how, how can they figure out how to find somebody that does this? Like, do you have questions that you suggest that they ask? Or like, do they say, you know, hey, I'm Kelly, I need to file a foreign income, you know, tax exclusion return. Do you know what you're talking about? Like, how, how, does, how do people have those conversations? Right. That's so true. I get that question all the time with domestic issues where that's not my specialty. So I have to refer out. Um, I also get that question a lot with estate planning for expats. I mean, I mm-hmm. definitely refer that out as well. I would recommend the questions asked to ask your regular accountant to say, have you, one, heard of the foreign earned income exclusion? Can you tell me if I qualify and what the steps are? And two, uh, how many returns have you filed with the, claiming the foreign earned income exclusion? Have you ever run into any issues with clients who have used that? So Mm -hmm. I think knowing the verbiage is a great place to start because if a client starts asking me about something that I don't know, I'm on the, I'm on Google checking it out and say, that isn't something that's in my scope of expertise. Let's Mm -hmm. find a referral for somebody who, who knows how to handle that. When you prepare returns, I assume a lot of what you're doing is virtual, like not even during a pandemic, but. You know, if someone's in Paris or Greece, are they calling you, you know, in the States and you're working that out? How does that? Exactly. Yeah. And and that's actually how Brightex started was our CEO, who is not a CPA, moved abroad to Argentina from Ohio, realized how difficult it was to file taxes from abroad because he was used to going into a brick and mortar location. And Mm -hmm. he started this business to serve fellow expats while he's an expat himself. To file taxes more easily. And now we're actually at Bright Tax 100% remote and we always have been. So okay, the transition okay. during the pandemic was was really easy for me, except now I have a new coworker. My husband works from home as well. And mm-hmm. um, I think it serves us really well because we have a lot of our team members who live abroad themselves. 
So they're, they know the, the difficulties and the excitement and adventure and trials and tribulations of, of living abroad. So they can very easily relate to that piece. I live in Colorado. So I like to say I hold down the fort here in the States, but it's a lot of expats serving other expats remotely. Do you find it difficult at all to, you know, again, I think we're getting better at it during the pandemic. You guys have done this all along, but um, I've seen some of the uh, the tweets from preparers that are concerned about, you know, people not understanding how to upload documents to portals, but it sounds like that would be something that you guys have already worked out. Right, exactly. That's where, where we started with our, um, we felt like we were ahead of the game getting our organizer very easy to access rather than sending things back and forth via email and we have a whole intake team who helps people with the uploads and asking questions about how do I input this because it's not just dropping off a pile of documents on the doorstep anymore sure it's a different setup and now that e-signatures have been made part of it that makes our lives a lot easier and, and our clients lives so they don't have to print sign and scan it back to us. Right. I can't tell you how many times I've had the um, the phone signatures. And I, <laughs> I know that we've talked about this on social media, where folks will just t- take a picture of their signed return and yeah. like shoot that over to you on the phone. And we're like, no, it, this, this is not uh, going to work. But now IRS is finally allowing um, for a lot more uh, use of technology so that you know, you don't have to do those workarounds anymore, which is great. Yeah, exactly. It's it's making everyone's lives easier. We're getting caught up with the times. Exactly. So I, I do, one of the things you, you kind of, uh, well, you talked about at the beginning is that, you know, 2020 was a, a strange year because people were staying put, but you're seeing a lot more movement in 2021. Do you think that that's going to be a continuation of a trend? Or do you think that people are just kind of itchy to get out? Or, or do you think that Figuring out that you can work from a computer may make it more likely that people become digital nomads. Right. I think it's the latter. I think that people have figured out they can work remotely. Employers have figured out our, our team is responsible. We can, they can do it just fine from anywhere. And the other thing that I've read about and I've seen with, with my peers as well is this feeling of, um, I hate to say YOLO, <laughs> you only live once where you know, you don't want to be cooped up. You don't want to regret not taking that adventure. So I think we'll we'll just keep seeing more and more people moving abroad. I think that employers have a, a tough task ahead of them to determine, well, can we keep these people on as employees or do they need to move over to be 1099 contractors because of if their employer is, is living abroad, what does that mean for the business itself? And right. so since I'm on the uh, individual side of things, I always tell clients, make sure you speak with your employer to make sure that they'll support this. Right. This is, I think this is a conversation we're going to be having a lot more of is, you know, folks who want to move abroad and companies struggling with whether or not that works because, and it's not even just abroad. Sometimes it's just across state lines, right? Because this is something that, you know, I think increasingly on the planning side, we have, you know, I'm a lawyer. And so the lawyers, lawyers are probably even more conservative than the accountants. We think about like all of the things that could possibly go wrong. And so when you're packing your suitcase for Paris, this is, you know, this is what you're thinking of. You're thinking I've got my laptop and I'm good, but 
you have to think about what about rules? What about unemployment insurance? What about like all of these other things, workers comp, you know, it's, that's what the, that's what the employers are worried about. So it will be, I think a really interesting discussion as more people want to do this and more employers are concerned about what it means for the team, not just in terms of social. I do think that there is a a benefit to having a cup of coffee with your, with your peers which may or may not be outweighed by having a cup of coffee, you know, while looking at the Arc de Triomphe. So so I think that those are the kinds of discussions that people are going to have to have. Right. I think it'll make a a really interesting future of business. Yeah. Future of adventure. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, thank you so much for for being here. Um, I think this is something, you know, it's really topical right now. And I think people are increasingly wondering, like, not only can I do it, but if I move abroad, what does it mean? What does the tax picture look like? What does that mean for my wallet? So I think this is really useful. If people wanted to find you or your company and you wanted to be found either on social media or on the web, where would you send them? Yeah, our website is brighttax.com. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook as brighttax, bright exclamation mark tax. Great. And I'll be sure to put those uh, links in the show notes so that people can easily find them. Super. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. This has been terrific. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.